Welcome to Messages for the Hour, a Harkin Network podcast featuring a series of timely messages for the body of Christ. This one is from Christine Kane. She's an activist, evangelist, author, and speaker. She's written several Christian books and is active in speaking about her passion for God, the local church, and justice issues at conferences and other events across the globe. Her message from the Bethel Music Worship School in Redding, California, is a clarion call to a generation to understand that talent may fill a room, but anointing breaks the yoke. An anointing that comes from being willing to be crushed as we wait in hiddenness far from the platform for the Lord's purposes to come forth in our lives, in His timing, and in His way. Here is Christine Kane. My 16-year-old daughter, who is still in Sydney, uh, she called me because I had posted something on my Instagram story, which was her and her little cousins. And so she called me at 11.53 p.m., as you do when you're 16, to tell me to take down the picture that I posted because she hadn't filtered it properly. And, um, <laughs> Mum, you cannot have... At 11.53, I'm like, I'm flying to Reading in the morning and I've slept for two seconds in the last two weeks. But it didn't matter. And she had also left another contract um, on the table that had told me previously and I had to fill it in, I, Christine Kane, hereby solemnly swear that I will never post an Instagram picture of my daughter, Catherine, without her permission. It's, you know, they reach this age that you are not allowed to post pictures of them unless they let you. And, um, you know, because we, we, we live in that kind of age where I could post something from California and in Australia, two seconds later, less than two seconds later, they're already seeing it. You and I live in that snap and upload culture. Literally, we just snap it now. I could, I could take a picture of what's going on here and on the other side of the world within microseconds, they're having a look at what's happening right here at Bethel, at Reading and you and I, this is the world, 99% of you, because I just learned most of you were born after 1982, 99% of you, you've never known a world before that. Now, I have a pre-internet life. I know you find that hard to believe, but I'm as old as the dinosaurs. So some of us have a, a pre-internet life. Some of us actually know a planet before social media. I, I know that that is foreign to many of you. I, I am so grateful that God chose me, called me, anointed me and catapulted me to my destiny before there was social media because I actually know the voice of God and the hand of God before any filtering ever got on my life or anything happened in my life. So, so that, that's actually really helpful. But you, you don't know that world. My daughters don't know that world. In fact, there are over 250 million photos uploaded every single day on Instagram. Over 400 million photos uploaded every day on Facebook, that's the world that we live in. The most prominent hashtag of all hashtags ever in the history of social media is the hashtag selfie. We are not obsessed with ourselves. We are the single most narcissistic generation. That, that is the thing that we love them. Everything is all about us, all eyes on us. Now, that's the world we live in now. When I was growing up, we thought 
the most radical invention. Now it's very vogue, it's all come back in like vinyl has now too. But the single most radical invention in history was the Polaroid camera. And I mean, when we, I'm trying to make this work, Where's my husband? Because I know nothing about technology. Someone needs to help me out with this. Can you push a button? Take a picture of someone on the front row right there. Look at this. I mean, when we did this, okay, thanks. And this thing came, I mean, we thought this was the Antichrist. This was a smark of the beast right there. Can you believe this was, this was the mark of the beast? And I mean, we could not wait because you actually, could see this image now in probably about three minutes. It's still dark. Now my daughters by now are already bored. Mum, where is the image? I mean, I could have uploaded this on my Instagram and it would be across the world. But we thought this was radical. Absolutely, because I grew up in the real dinosaur era, the day of the 35 mil film. Oh yeah. And now I know this has come back, but in my day, you actually had to get one of these. You had to load it into a camera all by yourself. <laughs> then you took a picture. You had to take this thing out and you had to put it in an envelope. And then you had to take it to Walgreens. And then you prayed and you fasted and you interceded <laughs> because you weren't even gonna see this thing for six days. And you had to trust God that you didn't take a whole roll of your foot or something that you were never going to know. You didn't know because this little baby went somewhere into an envelope and then it just disappeared into the abyss. And where it went was to another place where they develop film. This had to go through a process. It went into this thing called a dark room. And in that dark room, it went through nine chemical processes so that the image could come out and be forged on the negative. But if you open the dark room door prematurely, if you allowed any light into that dark room prematurely, then the light would have exposed the negative and the image in the negative would have been destroyed and the picture would never be produced. Now, many of us, because of the world in which we've grown, we think our destiny is a snap and upload. We come to this conference and we get a prophetic word from God and that's my picture. And we put that picture up for everyone to see. God said, I am going to be the next Joel Houston to the body of Christ. I'm gonna be the next Jen Johnson. I am the next Tasha Cobbs. I am, look what God said. And we love to snap and upload it and put it up to everyone. Hashtag, I'm the next greatest, I'm the next best. And we just think someone just needs to discover me because look what God said about me. But the thing that I've discovered is you don't need to be discovered by God. He's already created you. We need to not be discovered. We need to be developed. And most of us do not allow God to develop us because we're waiting for man to discover us. And if you settle for man discovering you, you will bypass the process of God developing you. If man discovers you, man will destroy you. If the approval of man is what has discovered you, that is what will destroy you. But if you allow God to develop you, God makes sure 
that the light that is in you is greater than the light that is on you. Because if the light that is on you is greater than the light of Christ that's been developed in you, that spotlight will destroy you. And so the issue is we have a generation that's running into the dark room, opening the door, exposing the image of Christ being forged on the inside of us and then wondering why we have nothing to give to the world around us. God does not need to discover you, not when He's created you. You and I need to be developed, conformed and transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is what happens in the dark room. And God takes us into anonymity, into obscurity. God takes us into the dark room of life to forge His image on the inside of us. And yet you and I live in a world where the spotlight is constantly on us. Whether you're in a small church or a large church, whether you're leading in arenas or whether you're leading in the back of a country town, because of our social media platforms, the world won't put their spotlight on us, then we'll put our own spotlight on ourselves and we'll upload it to the rest of the world. And so what we must ensure that we do is allow the image of God to be forged on the inside of us. I want us to turn today to the Scripture and I've got a lot of points for you. This is school, so we're going to school today. Is that okay? We're gonna go to school. You need to understand that um, this is not the voice or a reality TV show when we talk about worship leading, when we talk about any platform kind of ministry of leading the people of God. See, our churches all around the world are full of people that are still in bondage. You've got to wonder, with so much worship music on the planet, which so much, with so much exposure to Christian music, to Christian sermons, to Christian television, to Christian radio, how on earth can our world still be in the amount of bondage that it's still in? How can people walk into churches bound week in and week out and 20 years later still be walking in and out and still bound? And that's because we've got a whole lot of gifted worship leaders, but I'm not quite sure how many anointed ones we have. And there is a really big difference between gifting and anointing. A gift will fill a room. A gift will entertain a crowd. A gift will stir people up. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it is the anointing that breaks yokes and chains and bondages. And the only way you get an anointing is through crushing. But if we have a generation that doesn't wanna be crushed, but would rather be paraded, then we will continue to have gifted people and we will not have anointed people. We need a generation that is willing to go into the dark room where the crushing happens and that's where the oil comes. How do you make new wine? You put the grapes in a vat and they are crushed. And God's not looking for more people to parade. God's looking for some that are willing to be crushed. And in the world in which we are walking into, God wants crushed people, not gifted people. And the degree to which you are willing 
To allow God to do what needs to be done in you is the degree to which God will use you and do an amazing work through you. There is a direct correlation between crushing and anointing. There is a direct correlation between ongoing crushing and ongoing anointing. It's just that we have a world that is so spiritually unaware, most congregants wouldn't know the difference between anointing and gifting. And so they think, wow, that's anointed. And it's not anointed, it's just gifted. Are you still in chains? Do you still have shackles that are binding you? Are there still addictions? Is there still brokenness? Is there still depression and anger and anxiety and confusion? Is they're just bowing down to the culture of the world. Well, if that's all the case, you're being entertained by gift, but you're not being changed by anointing. And when you see what God's doing on the earth and the streams that He's aligning and the people that He's bringing together, it's because it's His anointing that breaks yokes and chains and shackles. And we need leaders that can discern the difference between when there's a moment happening that's a gifted moment and the difference between goosebumps and anointing. I don't need to go to a Christian concert to get goosebumps. I could get a secular atheist humanist to give me goosebumps with their gift. You've been to a concert where someone's really not saved, but they're so gifted that they hit a high note and you think it's the Holy Ghost and it's the devil. It's a problem when the church can't tell the difference between the Holy Ghost and the devil. That's a real problem. And so you can stand on a platform and lead and show your gift off, but that says nothing about your anointing. And when the people that are leading the praise and the worship of God in our churches are willing to be crushed by God in the dark room, we're gonna see so much shift in our churches around the earth. But for the last 40 or 50 years, there has been so much compromise by those that are leading, there's little wonder that the sheep have gone astray. And so you and I have a responsibility, have a responsibility to allow God to do what needs to be done in us before we ever stand here and allow that light to shine upon us. Because too many with the microphone have led people to themselves and not to God. And then when they have decided to overtly stop following Jesus, people have kept following them. And so our job is not to connect people to us or to our gift or to our album sales, but to lead them to Jesus who's on Most High. So therefore, if you decide to take a wrong turn, people aren't gonna follow you, they're gonna follow Him. But most don't know the voice of the shepherd because they're too used to hearing the voice of the talented musician at the front. And so what you and I need to do is incline our ear to the Spirit, allow God to transform us so we can connect people to God. Let me get to the Word of God before I go on. That was just a side thing. <laughs> First Samuel 16, now let's get to what I really wanna say. First Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice 
to the sacrifice to sorry to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammu pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass by before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome, like my husband. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon, I want you to catch this. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day, for, from that day, from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now I want you to see simultaneously what happened. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So what do you do when in front of the whole family, the father of the house, the prophet, the brothers, when you are anointed, it is obvious. What do you also do when it is obvious that the Spirit of the Lord has left the one that was over you? What do you do when you've been anointed to be the next king and you've gotten the anointing in front of everyone and it is obvious that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from who was over you? Well, in our culture, we would just kick them out and say, man, step aside. I am the fourth part of the Trinity. I have just arrived. I was anointed and I am here and you're no longer here, you're gone. But you know, that's really not what happened. We don't have time to go there and I'll allude to it, but if you just quickly go to 2 Samuel chapter five, 2 Samuel chapter five, the Bible says, David was in, in verse four, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. That's when he began to reign half the kingdom for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So he was actually 37 when he reigned over all of Israel. Do you know when he was anointed? When he was 17. The Spirit of the Lord left his leader when he was 17. He was anointed in front of everyone at 17. But although he was anointed in 1, Kings, in 1 Samuel 16, he wasn't appointed until 2 Samuel chapter five. There was 20 years and 20 chapters between anointing and appointing. In those anoint, between anointing and appointing, God was developing him to become who he already was. God anointed him to be king at 17, appointed him at 37. It took him 20 years to become who he already was. Most of us, we think anointing means instant appointing, but there's always a process between when you're anointed and when God appoints you. And we're gonna see what happens in that process. If you don't allow God to develop you in that progress, 
You're gonna try to be discovered by man. And if man discovers you, man can destroy you. But when God develops you, nobody can destroy you. At 52 years old, 30 years after I started, I'm not looking over my shoulder anywhere because I didn't put myself here. And man didn't put me here. God put me here. So if God put me here, God will keep me here. But the minute you start wanting to be discovered by the next talent agency, by the next person that's going to give you a contract, by the next person that's gonna be your producer, when you wanna be discovered by man, you will be rejected by man. But when you are developed by God, what will happen is God will open doors that no man can shut. Promotion does not come from the north, south, east or west. Promotion comes from God alone. I wonder if there's any Christians on the earth that still believe that. I really do. Because in our day of marketing and in our day of parading ourselves, so many of us are missing our destiny. Because it's not your instant little shooting star that tells me what's going on with you. It's 20, 30 years later. My testimony isn't. I was doing events bigger than I'm doing now when I was in my 20s in Australia. You just didn't know about it because there was no internet or social media. But the real testimony is that 30 years later, I'm still here. 30 years later, I'm doing what God called me to do. So, the first thing, and because we're in school, I'm gonna to try to give you some points and not get too excited. So in, the first thing I need you to understand is that it's God that chooses, God chooses. The Bible says in verse one, the Lord said to Samuel, I have chosen. Verse eight to 10, the Lord has not chosen. See, God is sovereign and He chooses certain people for certain things. We can't all do everything, but we've all got to do something, the thing that God has called us to do. But you know, Jen Johnson didn't choose herself to be Jen Johnson. Bethel Music didn't choose themselves to be Bethel Music. God chose it. God chose Hillsong. God chose the leaders that do it. God chose it. And here is the deal. Sometimes it is more effective for us to align with what God is already doing than to think I am the next one that God has chosen. Because it didn't go well for the ones that thought that they were the next. God says, I've chosen. And then even when the prophet said, here comes, it must be Eliab, it must be, God goes, I've not chosen that. I've not chosen that. Oh, I know they look better. I know they're more gifted. I know they're more talented, but I didn't choose them. I am not the best at what I do. I'm not the most gifted or the most talented. And there's a lot of people that'll line up and tell you that. They tell me that. I go, I know I didn't choose myself. I know you're better than me. I know that I'm not qualified. And you don't even know the half of it. I should give you the other 50 reasons of why I shouldn't be standing here. Honestly, I always laugh. I think when people go, Christine Kane shouldn't be doing it because of, and I go, and you don't know the half of it. God chooses. God chooses. So are we in the place that God has chosen or what we want? And you won't ever be satisfied unless you're doing what God has called you to do because you will only ever have a grace for your race, nobody else's. There are so many people in the body of Christ suffering from anxiety and depression and stress because they're running a race that they were never designed to run. They're trying to become who they were never supposed to become. Rather than becoming the them that God created them to become, there's always a grace for that race. They've tried to get in someone else's lane. They've elevated someone into a place that they think they want. And then they're wondering why their body is crumbling. They're wondering why their emotions are crumbling. They're wondering why their relationships are crumbling. They wonder why there doesn't appear to be 
blessing on what they're doing. It's because you're trying to run a race that there's no grace for because God didn't say that was your race. You will always have a grace for the race that you are running. At 52, I, I travel them. I, I take 20 year old girls with me that can't even keep up. I mean, I'm the one that's preaching five times a day, traveling around, doing whatever, and I have to get them out of bed in the morning because they're like, oh, this is exhausting watching you. And I'm like, seriously. They're like, I want to be Chris Kane. I'm like, I don't even want to be Chris Kane. I don't even know why you would want to do that. You will have a grace for your race. And this is where you rest in the sovereignty of God in understanding that God knows best. The sign of your value and measure as a worship leader is not that you become the next Joe Houston. It's not that you become the next Brooke. It's that you become who God's called you to be. And it doesn't matter which way we slice it up. You're just gonna have to settle it for yourself. You are being raised in a culture and you will lead the church in a culture where the spotlight is always on someone. And as much, you are gonna have to die daily to your desire to, to go, but I'm better than them, but I can write better songs, but I can sing better notes, but I can do, but if God has not chosen you for that assignment, that means you're looking in the wrong place. And God's trying to heal something that's broken on the inside of you. You'll have grace for what He's called you to do. And until you learn to value everyone's assignment equally, not everyone has the same visibility, but God does not place greater value on any other human being. Some of us, and in the world in which we live, have confused visibility with significance. We think that if, there's, if I've got a lot of visibility, that means I'm doing something. No, that's your own sense of self-importance. And the root of that is actually pride. Here is the deal. I don't think what I'm doing is any more important than the people that you don't even know of, that Nick and I are leading churches in Poland and Bulgaria and Thessaloniki, Greece. You wouldn't even know about them. But I know as I stand before God, in fact, in many areas, they're likely to get more eternal rewards than I am because I've got more visibility on my life and the applause you give me, that's it. I remember once I was with Joyce Meyer and there was a big arena and I'd done my big preach and the whole place is up clapping. And Joyce turns around to me, she goes, I hope you enjoy that because that's all you're gonna get. I sure hope you're doing some things that nobody knows if you wanna set up some eternal rewards for yourself because everything you're clapped for here on earth, Christine, that's the reward that you just got. Hope you enjoyed it. So not everyone ought to be easily desiring what we get. So every time an arena is applauding me, standing on their film, like going back, going, God, what are 10 things I can do that nobody knows about? Who can I call and bless? What can I do? Where can I give? What can I do? Because I want some eternal rewards when I go to heaven. If all I'm living for is the applause of man, God's like, awesome, because you got that. You got that. And so God can't trust you with people if you rank what's important and what's not. If you fall into the world's culture system of just because they're a best-selling thing and just because they've sold this, how do you know what God wants to do with those units? You've got to be faithful to where God has placed you, not so that you can go somewhere else, but because those people are valuable to God. You will never really value others until you truly, this, it's not just a cute little thumbprint, you're unique, you're an individual. It's not to, to a cute little gimmick. Until you actually get a revelation of that, you can't truly love people. Until you actually realise, you know what? I'm created in the image of God, distinct, unique. 
I can appreciate and love what God's doing. And the hardest thing is when someone's doing the similar thing to you. That's where really you will be tested. See, when someone has a whole different gift, you don't really compare because you just go, I can appreciate Chris as a preacher. But when it's someone that does what you do, God says, how much can I trust you there? How much can I really trust you before jealousy sets in? Or before covetousness sets in? Or before greed sets in? Or before lust for their gift or their talent or their followers? It's always a hard issue. It's always a hard issue. So we have to understand that God chooses. God chooses. And the fact is, God is not obligated to sustain what He never started. So if you put yourself out there and sign a contract that God was never in, don't expect that God has to bless what He never started. God does not have to pay. Rejoice, another good lesson from my spiritual mama, Joyce Meyer. God only pays for the bills from the stuff that He orders. He doesn't pay the bills of the stuff that He doesn't order. If He didn't order it, then He's not obligated to pay for it. And so what we have to understand is that you are much better under the flow of what God is doing because there will always be an overflow. There will always be an abundance. Sometimes you hear teaching like we're talking about today, overflow and abundance, and you think that doesn't measure up in my life. And that's where people start to think, well, you people, you know, you don't really know what you're teaching. Yes, it's all predicated on the assumption that I'm under the spout, the right, I'm in the right lane. I'm in my right lane. And sometimes it's not that God hasn't been faithful, it's just that I have been faithless and I've been chasing after something that God never has had my name on it. And then there's not a provision for what He's called us to do. The second thing is you have to understand that sometimes you're not invited to your own party. Now, imagine David, Samuel turns up and he's about to anoint the next king. So God says, I've anointed for, I've appointed for myself a new king I've chosen for myself. Now imagine if David was not doing what God had called him to do. He was in an obscure place, out in the field, killing lions and bears and, you know, singing love songs to the sheep, whatever it is that a shepherd boy does. So he was in his own place with God. Now imagine if, thank God there was no Twitter or there was no uh, social media. Because imagine if he was, he ever been on social media? I know no one in here has ever done it. And um, you're suddenly scrolling through and then you see there's a party and all your friends are there and you're not. Or there's a conference and all your friends are speaking and you're not. Or there's a worship night and all the other bands are on the Outcry Tour and yours isn't. And you're scrolling through. And all of a sudden, you're not about the assignment that God has given you because you're too busy looking at what everyone else is doing. And you're too busy with all the feelings of anger and rejection and hurt and betrayal and uselessness and why am I not there? I just think first and foremost, thank God that David, after he got anointed, didn't get on Twitter, hashtag future King of Israel. (laughs) Hashtag I'm it. Because there was still 20 years. Sometimes we'd be a lot wiser to not jump on social media with thus saith the Lordeth. Maybe he can just say it to youeth. Just because Facebook says what's on your mind, please don't tell it. What are you thinking? Please don't tell it. And we think we've got to tell everyone. We're so busy. Look, look what God said. Look, look. Man, it's on there. I've got a hashtag. 
And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, there's a party and I'm not invited. And you've spent the next five years instead of being faithful to the church where God has placed you and faithful to the people that God has put before you. And then you wonder why you're not promoted in the sixth year when God had the plan for it. It's because you spent all your time scrolling through everyone else's life. You're not living your own life. And there would be a real wisdom. If it's not edifying you, if it's not blessing you, unfollow, get it off your phone. I think this has caused more people to miss their destiny than anything else. Because we're so busy looking at everyone else's life. I follow what inspires me, what exhorts me. And if I find anything in me that's got a wrong spirit, I'm like, you know what? I need to get off. Or I need to unfollow for my own sake, not for them. They've got whatever they, but for my own sake, for my own heart. And you're gonna have to learn to monitor that. Because there's always up, there's always a next one coming up. There's always something and you're, and you're scrolling through. But here is the deal. While the party's happening, the festivity party is happening. The sacrifice, the heifer festivity party. Jesse and his sons are there. David's doing exactly what he was called to do. David's looking after the sheep. David's playing his harp. He is exactly where he's supposed to be. He's being developed in anonymity. He's being developed in obscurity. That's what's happening. While you're out in that church and no, you're not on the next tour and no, you're not on the latest Instagram feed, but you're doing what God's called. You don't know. There's a party happening. You're thinking, man, I'm never invited to that party. But he didn't even know because there was no Twitter. So he didn't know he wasn't invited to the party. He was just being faithful in the presence of God. And when you're faithful in the presence of God, you don't know what you're not invited to because you weren't invited to it because the one who you're here to minister to is with you in that place. He didn't feel a lack because God was with him. He didn't feel a lack because he was doing exactly what he was called to do. And the thing we realise, number three, is that first impressions do not always count. The Bible says when he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, welcome to the culture in which we live. I saw this on Instagram and thought. We are the visual generation that sees and thinks. Here's what you do. The prophet was in the right house, but he saw the wrong thing. And here is the thing that I've learned. The prophet can get it wrong. The father of the house can get it wrong. But here's the deal. God never gets it wrong. In this case, you could go, well, I'm under a leader and they don't see the gift that is on me. Well, the father of the house didn't see the gift on his son. The prophet didn't see the right son. Some of you need to sit with that and you came here for that alone. You're wondering what's going, the father of the house didn't recognise the kingly gift on his own son. The prophet saw someone and thought, and our generation is all about seeing and thinking. Seeing and thinking. All this is going on and David doesn't have a clue because David's doing exactly what God's called him to do. And he's totally satisfied with the Lord. He's totally happy in the presence of God. He doesn't know what he's missing out because he's not scrolling through everyone else's life. He's just getting busy with the Father and being about the Father's business where he is. But here the prophet's getting it wrong. Sometimes you can have the right heart and see the wrong one. Some of you, you keep looking out, God, if you would just bring this great gifted worship person to my church. The fact is they're in your house. You just haven't seen them yet. You're so busy looking for the famous one that you're missing the anointed one right in front of you. And if you do not understand the difference between famous and anointed, you are never gonna see your worship team rise up to be who God has called it to be. Stop looking for the famous and start raising up the anointed. And I'm telling you, you can give them an opportunity to come through this 
and in order to develop the character of Christ in it. But we're also looking for our next big break that we're missing the opportunity for God to break us so that anointing can raise more up through us. That's what we need God to do in the midst of all of that. And so what happened was Samuel was looking for the next Saul because he said he was looking for the next king because he saw Eliab and thought Eliab looked just like Saul. He was tall, he was good looking. And here is the deal. He looked like the most obvious. And most of us, we miss the anointed one because we just see the obvious one in front of us. And he, he was looking for the next Saul. Who's the next one like this one? But God never said, I've raised up the next king. He said, I've raised up a new king. Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Most of the planet isn't perceiving it because you're looking for the same old thing in a younger body. We don't need the next Joyce Meyer, number one, she's still alive. Number two though, you know, we, we've still got, we, God did that through her. When people say, are you the next? I'm not the next anyone. Behold, He's doing a brand new thing through my life and He's looking for a new thing, not a younger version of the old thing. Some of you have not seen God do what He wants to do in and through the worship team in your church because you're looking, well, who's the next? That's Hollywood. What Hollywood does, who's the next? It's just like a machine. Bring them through the machine. Who's the next Justin Bieber? Who's the next Selena Gomez? Who's the next? Just bring them through. That's what Hollywood does. Because that's a machine. God doesn't do the next of anyone. He does a brand new thing so that we can have a new wine skin for the new wine that He wants to pour through. And while the church adapts the Hollywood methodology, they're the only results we're going to have. And we wonder why we have the Hollywood morality. Perhaps if we changed our methodology, the morality would flow. But I'm not here to preach about that today. So the fact is, is some of you, when you go back to your churches, I wonder if you're overlooking the anointed one and if you're overlooking the chosen one because you're looking for the gifted one and you're looking for the next you. You don't need the next you. You need the new one that God has anointed. The fourth thing that we need to remember is always an issue of the heart. Verse 7 do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. See, it's interesting because um, we preach this stuff, but most of us don't really believe it. Now, let me just put a parenthesis here. Obviously, when David came through, um, Scripture does tell us that he was ruddy, he was handsome, he was good looking. So it's not that it's irrelevant. I mean, do the best with what you've got. That's fine. But the truth is, that God always looks from the inside out, which is why you're shocked that He uses some of the people that He uses. Because you're like, whoa, that they don't look like they fit the image, whatever the world's image is. But God has always looked at the heart. Everything is an issue of the heart. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flow all of the issues of life. There could be nothing more important. If I came up today to spend one whole session with worship leaders talking about the heart, Every issue of life, Proverbs 23, 7, every issue of life stems from the human heart. The heart is the gateway to everything. The heart is where everything, your heart will take you off course or your heart will keep you on course. It's always an issue of the heart. And so at the end of the day, it's the control centre of our life. And if there is a disparity between your inner world and your outer world, your world will collapse. 
When you wonder why do some people fall? Why do some worship leaders come out of the barrel and they're awesome and then you go, where did they go? What happened? Where did they go? It's because there was a disparity between their inner world and their outer world. You can play the game in Christian culture for so long, but you can't play the game with God forever. And at some point, it will be exposed. At some point, what is in you will be squeezed out of you. Now you can allow it to be squeezed out of you in the dark room where no one sees it or it will be exposed in the light. And I thank God for the dark room. I thank God for it. You wouldn't let me stand here if you knew. But God is so gracious, so merciful, so loving. He says, if you come in the dark room, I'll get that out of you where no one else can see it. But, but if you stay out here, the natural consequence of that, it's not God doing it, the natural consequence of it is that it's just gonna be exposed. What is in you will eventually come out of you one way or another. Your heart, your heart will determine how far you will go in life. It's our heart that grows weary in doing good. It is our heart that gets overwhelmed. The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. When my heart is overwhelmed, David said, it is our heart that can be in turmoil and has no peace. It is our heart that is the seed of our passion. It is our heart that is the source of our life. And your heart is developed in anonymity and obscurity. God says, if I take you back here and will you do this for me because you love me? When you, will you do it for me when you are unapplauded? When you are unappreciated? When you are unrecognised? Will you do it for me when nobody knows what's going on? Because if you cannot learn to do it for me when you're unapplauded and unrecognised and unwanted and uninvited, if you can't do it, then you have no chance of sustaining it when you are applauded, when you are invited, when you are recognised. It's my 20 years in anonymity and obscurity before the internet that has sustained me in my 10 years under the spotlight. That is what has enabled me to go, whoa, I, I lived without it. So I know what it's like to just love God without the accolades, without the likes. See, most of us, we care more about how many likes we get than how much like God we're becoming. And if we could learn to want to become more like God than worrying about how many likes we get. Oh, we wanna go find the best marketing company. See, what I discovered 30 years ago was I knew what it was to be marked by God. So I don't care if I'm not marketed by man. Man can't get me there. Man can't put me there. Only God can for anything of eternal value. And I would rather be marked by God than marketed by man. And you do not wanna sell your soul to be marketed by man when you can have the mark of God on your life that will give you favour, that will open doors that no man can shut, that will put you in rooms that you don't deserve to be in, that will give you favour that you couldn't orchestrate, that will give you provision that you couldn't, oh, to be marked by God. But you'll only be marked by God in the dark room, in anonymity and obscurity. That's where the marking happens. Where His image is forged in you and you care more about that and you care more about the light that is in you being developed than the light being on you, developing you. When you get to that moment, God goes, oh, I can use you. I, I can use you because you know what your instrument's for. You know what your gift is for. That spotlight, because you and I live in a world where there's a spotlight. I, I was at Hillsong and I got up to do something and a friend of mine sent me a picture. I wish I should have thought to put it up. 
But you could see because, you know, it's this big arena in Australia and there's this spotlight. And so I couldn't see it because I'm on stage and I'm just doing my thing. But when it was like a warning, when she sent it to me, I've just kept it on my phone, not to look at myself like, but as a warning. Be really careful, Christine. Be really careful. It's so obvious. The whole room's dark and there's this light. And it put a holy fear of God in me. Going, there is only one purpose ever that God would put an ounce of that light on us. And it's just so that His light can reflect through us. But you will have none of God's light to reflect in you if you haven't been in the dark room to be crushed. All you will have is your gift and your talent. And then you're wondering why you're popping pills at night and you're drinking extra wine and you're going from one bed to the next and you're looking at porn and you're looking at a whole lot and you're wondering why because you're trying to get satisfied because you've never learned to go to the dark room where only His presence will satisfy you, where His anointing will satisfy you. Because at the end of the day, when it's late at night and the lights are off, you know, you know you're a fake. You know that your gift is there and you got to numb it any way you can. You want to try to numb it. And when I'm gone, you all can have an altar call and some ministry. Because for some of you, that's what you've come here for. And what you haven't realised is the crushing is not to destroy you. The crushing is to get rid of that stuff in you so that only His presence is what satisfies you. So you won't have to go online and look at that stuff. You won't have to do a big worship gig and then go and pay for sex somewhere. You won't have to do it because God will satisfy you. And you get in that cycle of guilt and condemnation and you know how to fluke it. But eventually you can barely stay sober because you can't live with yourself. And God's saying, would you just come to the dark room? Would you just come and allow me to deal with that stuff in you? And I'll forge my image on the inside of you and the light that is in you will become greater than the light that is on you. And then you'll know why I put that gift in you and that talent in you and it will no longer torment you. For some of you, that gift and that talent is tormenting you because it hasn't yet turned into an anointing because you haven't gone for a crushing. And the gift and the talent will torment you. That's why so many secular people end up committing suicide or on drugs that do what you do. And some of you, if you don't go into the dark room and allow the anointing, constantly, I'm constantly in that dark room. So there's constantly a crushing. So there's constantly fresh oil so that I'm not then looking to things to do for me what only God can. I'm not looking to people to do what only God can. It's an ongoing process this side of eternity. And if I want to continue having anointing, I ought to continue allowing God to take the junk out of me and continue to replace that with Him. The thing we have to understand is that, number five, there is no overnight success. When God, became, when God came and anointed David, He was the nobody that nobody noticed. My, I, I didn't get here. I remember when I first came to America in certain circles, and people were like, whoa! Where'd she come from? What an overnight success. That was at about the 25 year mark. I'm like, it was a flipping long night. It was a long night. It's just that no, we suddenly got social media. But I wasn't, I, I was the nobody that nobody noticed. And the interesting thing is, there is no such thing as an overnight success because this side of eternity, there is no arrival point. 
Now, if you have a worldly measure of success as an arrival point, oh, if I sell that many sales, if I, if I get on the billboard charts, if I start touring my band, somehow, you have put a worldly measure, you've just brought the world system into your faith. You have made a worldly measure of what it means for you, for God to use you. I don't know, for the Syrian worship teams and worship leaders that are being beheaded, I don't think they're gonna get a billboard number one. Does that make them a relevant Christian? For the Chinese underground church, I was with 500 leaders from the Chinese underground church in Northern Thailand. When were we there, Nick? About whatever, eight months ago. And I remember they brought me up so I could teach them. What a joke about leadership. And it was the four streams of the four major underground churches. And um, I got up and we're walking to the meeting and the, the, one of the leaders says to Nick and I, could, could you teach us leadership? We've got all these young people. Christine, we don't, we, don't understand, we don't understand anything about leadership because the only thing we know how to do is on, on, we teach our people on the way to their execution, how to witness to their executioner so they can get him saved. I mean, I just dropped on my knees. I went, I don't even want to, I'm not worthy to talk to you people. You can all lay hands on me. And whatever you've got going, I'll, I'll take that back to America with me. I, I don't need to teach you oceans. I think you're doing pretty good. I think you're doing pretty good. So I don't know what your measure is. Man, if I get a song, if I get a Grammy or a Dove, if I can't get a Grammy, I'll get a Dove because Christian best, second best, whatever. Because that, that's so I can, I can, because I have no relationship with the real dove. So if I put that one up there, it'd be awesome. Be awesome. Don't even start me. You're lucky I have a plane to catch. So here is my deal. Because I, I don't know what that means about the Chinese worship leaders that you'll never know because you'll never know. But you ask Nick. See, they are had to learn songs off by heart because you, it was all the underground. They started to sing because they're all village people. And so illiterate village people would write songs under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the four streams, we're in this room. Um, it was not Hillsong or Bethel or Passion, or, but Nick and I were on our face, on our face. I'm not, I'm not sure in my Christian life I've been in a more anointed meeting. There was not one instrument. Not one instrument. But there were worshippers who knew the price of following Jesus. I went, I don't know what this is, but this is what America needs. This is what America needs. All I'm saying is if you would be willing to be crushed for that anointing, oh, you won't be able to build buildings big enough because people will come to the presence of God. Eventually, you're going to get to the end of yourself. There's only so much gift and talent you can have. But the degree to which you're willing to be crushed is the degree to which God will do something so awesome in our generation. I'm not looking for any more gifted people. I'm looking for people that are willing to be dead. Paul says, I die daily. I die daily. I'm not trying to build a career. I'm, I'm willing to die daily. You know, you're going to have to understand that in Christianity, some things are just not fair. Throughout his journey from the field to the palace, there are a lot of things for David that were just not fair. 
You know, so many times if you read those 20 chapters and I hope tonight, tomorrow, you're going to do that. He turns around to, to Eliab, his brother. What have I done now? It's not fair when Saul accuses him, when Saul throws spears at him, when he's blamed for what he, it's not fair, it's not fair. He had to go through what that would be like. Some things are just not fair. Some people will be promoted over you. Some of people will be given visibility over you. How you deal with it is so important. We're in a spiritual battle. You don't get your nose out of joint and go and change churches just because you weren't put on the front line for the roster. You know what? Sometimes God will see, how will you deal with something that's not fair? He's just checking out, will you be able to deal with it? No, it's not right. Yes, it is unfair. Yes, it is unjust. How are you gonna deal? Get off and go. I've been 31 years in one church. You wanna think there's nothing been unfair in 31 years? But there is a direct correlation between the anointing that is on Nick and my life and the blessing on our ministry in A21 and the fact that we've stayed planted. First seven years, I didn't even preach in our church. It's, it's probably the thing I do most and am most known for around the world. God was dark room, Christine. I'm doing a work in you. You don't know where I'm gonna take you because your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into your heart. But how are you gonna cope? when people that are less able than you are promoted over you? How are you gonna cope when people who are less faithful than you get more visibility than you? How are you gonna cope when someone takes one of your messages and makes a CD series and makes a lot of money out of something you wrote? How are you gonna cope? Because you'll never know who you really did it for until something unjust and unfair and unrighteous happens, that's when you'll know. We're in a war and you're at the front line of this battle, front line. And it's concerned me over the last couple of years what our frontline worship leaders have allowed to get into the back troops. What doors they have opened in immorality, iniquity, Erroneous doctrine? Oh, it's, it's deeply concerning. That because of modern technology, a bunch of songwriters can set the theology for the church. If that doesn't give you a solemn, solemn sense of divine responsibility, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. If you don't understand you're right at the front and as it goes with you, that's what you allow to filter back here. And the doors were opening through social media and the doors were opening thinking we're just being cool and we're just being relevant. Some of you are not taking light into darkness. You're just taking more darkness into darkness. Light pierces the darkness. And so here's the deal. Will you allow God to take you through, through the process from being anointed to appointed? Will you allow God to develop His image in you and to forge His image in you rather than chasing some contract trying to be discovered by man? God doesn't need to discover you. He's discovered you, He created you. So when you look at to be discovered, it's because you want the approval of man but God's willing to develop you. 
if you allow him to do that. Let me just give you these points, write them down really quick and then I want you to understand if you bypass the development process. See, this is what happened to David in these 20 chapters. See, when David was anointed by the king, by the prophet, and then he went back out to the sheep, he was learning faithfulness. Some of you, you might once get to lead a song. That doesn't mean every Sunday you're gonna be up front. God says, can I put you back in the choir? Will you learn to be faithful even after you said, but I sung that note and oh, I did this really awesome thing and now I'm back in the choir? No, I'm not even in the choir. I'm getting water for the choir. Because David was anointed to be king and then he had to bring lunches to his brothers. I wonder if you've been given one opportunity up front, whether you're still willing to go and clean the choir room. I wonder, I wonder. So he was learning faithfulness. When he went into Saul to play the harp and soothe him, he was learning the protocol of the palace because David was a shepherd boy. He didn't know what it was like in a palace. See, some of you don't understand when you come through a process from helping set up the microphones to singing in the choir, to being one of the backing vocalists, to being up front, you're learning the protocol of the palace. You think just because I've got a gift, David was anointed to be king. He only knew how to look after sheep. He didn't know how to run a kingdom. So he had to learn the protocol of the palace. So God brought him in to play music to soothe the king so he could understand how does a palace run. Some of you want so much promotion. I hope some of you have got ears to hear what I'm saying right now. You, want, you think I could do that because you think your gift can do one little thing that's one aspect of a whole service. But the person that's running your department understands you don't know how to hold a meeting. You don't, you're learning the protocol. Just because you can sing one chorus doesn't mean you know how to run a whole meeting. Doesn't mean you know how to lead a whole people and what the Holy Spirit's doing and where this is happening. And sometimes you think they're just trying to hold me back because they're threatened by my gift. It's like, no, darling, we don't want you to screw it up for the people. We want you to grow into what it is that God has for you. You've got to learn the protocol. Sometimes just learning to have one line is giving you, whoa, okay, I'm getting a feel for this. I'm getting a feel for this. This is what it feels like. Too much exposure will destroy you. Not just your ego, but you don't know how to carry. There's nothing worse than getting up here and going, well, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where to take this. It's bigger than me. The palace was bigger than David, even though he was anointed. He had to grow into kingship. Some things are bigger than us. We've got to grow into that. When he became, when Jonathan and he became so close and they, you know, um, built such a, forged such a strong armour bearer relationship. He was learning sonship because Jonathan was Saul's son. He was learning what sonship was. When Saul appointed him to the highest rank in the army, he was learning how to be a leader. Now all this time, you've got to understand he, was, he had already been anointed to be king. He was already anointed, but he wasn't functioning because he wasn't appointed yet. See, many of you are anointed in what you're doing and then you're frustrated and you run around and you leave church and you leave the authority God's put you in because you haven't understood the difference between anointing and appointing. And you think just because you've been anointed, now he was already anointed to be king, but he's now still the leader of the army. When he got the accolades of the people, you know, David slain 10,000, Saul slain 1,000. He was learning, what do you do with favour? What do you do with people's favour? What happens when you have more favour than the king? 
What are you going to do with it? When Saul was jealous and tried to kill him so many times, he he learned to understand, wow, this is what it's like to be a victim when you've done nothing wrong. This is how I better not treat people when I'm put in that place. When he became a fugitive, he understood, wow, this is what happens with injustice. God allowed him. God took him into all these places. Some of you, you just go, well, I'm just going to quit. They're just threatened. And God's like, how are you going to learn any of these lessons? Where are you going to learn any of this? When he was acting like a madman at Gath, he was learning survival. Survival. Can you do what it takes? Wherever you are. When he was in the cave of Adullam and he had those crazy distressed and loser people that he was leading. He was learning how to lead. You go back and you come into the Bethel house this week and you're like, if we just had this, if we just had Tasha Cops, if we just had all that, but I've got all these little losers and God's like, wow. Wow. So glad I'm getting on a plane, Jen. You can clean this up, honey. You can clean this up. When he inquired of the Lord and saved Kayla, he he was learning obedience in that moment. When he spared Saul's life, when he could have killed him, he was learning the lesson of don't touch God's anointed. Some of you will crucify the person above you so you could take their job, especially if you know you're better than them. But you do well to learn some lessons from David. When he spared Nabal, He was exercising wisdom. I mean, he listened to a woman. That would be great for some of you, but anyway, that's okay. (laughs) Men turned on him at Ziklag. The Bible says he encouraged himself. There's gonna be some time when that's right. No, don't go to the bottle. Don't go to the pills. Don't go to the porn. Don't go to the person in the other church that understands just how insecure the leader over you is and they just wanna limit you and they just wanna contain you. Sometimes you just gotta encourage yourself in the Lord. When He destroyed the Amalekites and shared the spoils with His whole team, He was learning. It's not just about me, it's about all of us together. I mean, I could go on and on, but it took 15 years, it took 20 years. 15 years till He got half the kingdom, 20 years till He got the whole kingdom. Imagine if He bypassed any of that process. See, what we have is a whole lot of people that take the microphone, but only half the work's been done in them. And then we wonder why they haven't finished their race. See, the whole time God is preparing you for the thing that He has already prepared for you. God is helping you to become, He's developing you into who you already are. But you can't function as who you already are if you haven't been developed into who you already are. If David himself was anointed at 17, appointed at 37, 20 chapters, 20 years of injustice, 20 years of Saul throwing spears at him, 20 years. Imagine every time he saw his brothers. Oh, well, so much for your anointing. So much for what happened at our house all those years ago. When Jesse, some of you, your own father, your own spiritual father hasn't recognised the gift on you, Jesse. How would you feel? Seven sons. Oh yeah, there's the loser out there. I forgot that I had him. The prophet comes through the house, prophesies over everyone else but you. You're standing right next to it. Yep, that would be the one. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in meetings 
And the person next to me that I think, my gosh, I don't even think they're a Christian. And they're gonna be, you know, the next Catherine Coleman to the body of Christ. (laughs) And you go, wow, God goes, I'm just testing. Can you hear my voice? Do you know me? Will you stay faithful? That's right, Chris, you're being unapplauded. You're being overlooked. No, you're not invited. You're unwanted. You're unrecognised. But will you remember that moment of anointing? Will you stay faithful? Because Christine, when I'm ready to appoint you, if I've assigned you, I will find you. If you're in the back of Sydney, Australia, and there's no internet and there's no social media and women aren't supposed to be, oh no, when I'm ready, oh, when I am ready to drop a chick from down under, into North America and I be going, I don't need an internet. I don't need social media. I don't need, no, no, Christine, I assigned you way back then. So now I'm coming to find you. And then what I'm gonna do, just like Samuel said to Jesse, oh no, we're not sitting down. And those people that tried to keep you out are gonna be the ones that are gonna come and find you and bring you to the party. You don't ever have to worry about missing out on the party. God will make people stand up and wait and open the door for you and those that tried to kick you out are the ones that are gonna bring you in. You just gotta stay in place, stay faithful, allow God to develop you and not get out of the purpose that He's got for you. God wants to develop you and not discover you in Jesus' Name, in Jesus' Name.